Hello ladies and gentlemen, I'm Judith Fallon-Reed and welcome to Shelf Life TV, where I have great conversations with Caribbean authors about their lives and books. If you have yet subscribed to this podcast, please do so. You'll always know when new episodes are available. The video of this episode is available also on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel and check out my website at jfallonreed.com. Also, check out my other podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Now it's time to share what's on my shelf. Today on Shelf Life, I'm chatting with Barbara Blake Hannah Odie. We first met at Independent Voices Literary Fair when she came and she asked to read on the mic and we let her read and that was great. But we really became friends when she accepted our first film, Just Another Friday, into the Reggae International Film Festival. We thought that was really interesting that this Rasta woman was accepting this Christian film, but not only did she accept it, the film won an award and she loved our work and she has been a big supporter of our work ever since that and we have become really good friends. Barbara holds the distinction of being the first black TV journalist on British television. Yes, she was the first black TV journalist on British television. She's also responsible for hosting the first Jamaican Film Festival and recently the BBC created a journalism award in her honor. She's a filmmaker, a journalist, an author of several books, an inspirational speaker, and so much more. Enjoy this conversation that I have with Barbara Blake. Barbara, welcome, welcome to Shelf Life. It's so good to be able to sit and have a conversation with you. It's my real pleasure, Judith Malone Reed. We know each other going back as filmmakers. I love you for all the help you and your husband gave for the last film festival I held in 2013. Not only did we show your second film, which was as great as your first, but all the help you both gave me to make that film festival a success. Thank you. Thank Don't you. Thank what you. What you've been doing since as well. We had a we had a really good time. We've enjoyed it, and I I was looking back and remembering that I actually first met you at Independent Voices when you came That's up and right. asked to read. Yes. 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 We go back a long way. <laughs> we do go back a long yes, way. I remember your independent voices. That was a great event. That was a great event. You two never managed to do more because we really need an event like yeah, that. Yeah, we did. We did, I think, four. And then we just couldn't okay. get the sponsorship and stuff to keep it going. But, you know, if it's not dead, no call it Duppy. So though it's not dead yet. <laughs> it's <laughs> but not this dead is yet. it. We do things and it's like film festival. We do them and it's important to have done them and they make history. So it doesn't matter if we can't keep doing them again and again and again. We did them and they serve their purpose, a good purpose. Yes. Yes. Now we're here to talk about this book that I'm, I totally, totally, totally enjoyed reading called Growing Up, Daughter of Ja. And it's my favorite of all your works <laughs> because I'm learning <laughs> things about you that after all these years of knowing you, I didn't know. And I think it is such a fascinating piece of work about your life because there are a lot of people who really don't know much about your life. And so this book has really opened up some eyes for me. But before we get there, we also don't know much about your life before we knew you on, as, a, as a famous person. <laughs> so what was it like growing up as a daughter of the great Evan Blake? And did you have siblings? What, where did you grow up? I grew up in Kingston. Um... We had a house in, in um, it was called Bournemouth Gardens, um, Seabreeze Avenue. My father had two children, myself and my sister Jean. 
who was a year younger. Um, he and my mom separated when we were quite young, three and four years old. So my father really grew us up with the assistance. I mean, we had nursemaids and we had housekeepers. And occasionally, well, he married again in the later years. But basically, daddy was my, my he fathered me and mothered me as well. Wow. Um, but he was a very busy man because he ran a monthly news magazine, Spotlight, which was the most popular publication other than the Daily Cleaner, the most popular Jamaican publication. It carried news of everything, politics, fashion, business, international news. It was the publication everyone had to read every month. And he did that for nearly, well, all my growing up years. We met all the people that he interviewed, of course. I mean, I met Bustamante, um, we met Manly, we met, you know, the Issas, we, we met everybody. We met everybody growing up as children. Albert Huey was a friend of my father's. He would let, take us to art classes at the Institute where people like Edna Manley taught. We were in the pantomime with Louise Bennett and Rani Williams. We grew up in a very interesting way, being my father's daughter. And it was a, a good life, a good life. So you, you famous from long time then. <laughs> you famous from long time. Yes, we, we were in the pantomime when I was seven. We wow. had a little front of stage act while they, they, they changed the scenery behind. And it was so popular that one night we didn't get to the theater on time. Our nanny didn't get us there. And the people asked for their money back so they could come the next week and see the pantomime, truly. So yeah, we've been famous a long time. Yeah, you're famous a long time, man. You're famous a long time. And then you went to, to, to London. How did, yeah. you, where did, how did that happen? How did you get from where you were and transitioned into being in London? I was working then as a, a, a young assistant PR in an advertising agency when I got a, call, a phone call from my girlfriend, Beverly Anderson, who said, hey, Barbara, they're making a movie on the North Coast and they want Spanish-speaking extras. I know you're not too bad at the Spanish. You want a job as an extra. Sure. So I went along. And this was the film High Wind in Jamaica starring Anthony Quinn, a very, very excellent film, which has gone down in history. And he, he, he lands at this, you know, trop he's a, a pirate who has captured some young children. He lands at this tropical island and goes into this bar in which there are all these ladies of ill repute. I was one of those as an extra. So in the in, with a long I can't, I can't black imagine you as a lady of ill repute. <laughs> <laughs> Neither could I. I was a very bad actress. But in one of the breast periods, I, um, I got invited to come to London with the crew to be an extra when they were filming the interiors in, at Pinewood Studios. And everybody wanted to go to England in those days. So Beverly and I went. With, there was a third lady, an actress named Maud Fuller. The three of us went along with the crew to London and Beverly and I decided to stay. We both stayed in London. Beverly stayed for about a year and came back to Jamaica to continue her career as a filmmaker and in media. But I just stayed on in London and started living. I worked first, you know, I got jobs as a temporary secretary because no one could believe I could do anything better than that. But eventually I got a job with the company that handled the PR for Jamaica. 
And while I was there, I did the exams through the Institute of Public Relations, succeeded and got the job as the PR for Jamaica, Jamaican okay. government and tourism. So this was what I was doing in the first four years of my life in England. And, that, and those were the days when you could go and stay. But you, but you ended up on ITV as the first black journalist, first black news reporter on the scene. I mean, that yes. is in itself history. And they very recently, if I'm correct, created an award in your honor. The award to recognize up and coming ethnic minority journalists has been named after the UK's first black female TV news reporter, Barbara Blake Hanna. Yeah, Barbara's interviewees included high-profile names like uh, Harold Wilson and Michael Caine, but she is also credited with paving the way for other black reporters. While I was working with the PR company, I wrote lots of articles. I wrote articles about Jamaica for the Sunday Times, for example, Queen magazine. I wrote articles about being a woman. This was the time of the, the, the women's movement just starting. I wrote articles for Cosmopolitan. So while I was doing that, I read that a new television station was starting up and I applied for a job as a journalist on the program. They asked me to come for an interview. And when I went, it turned out to be an audition. They said, in case we ever want to do something live for the program. And next thing I knew, they called me up and offered me a job as an online reporter. Wow. So of course I said yes. And um, I became the first black person to have such a job in England. Wow. I, you know, that's something I love about your spirit. And I think that's one of the things that makes us kindred spirits is the fact that you, you, you almost never say no. You know, you see everything <laughs> as an opportunity, which is how I see things. You know, like everything is an opportunity. Try it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So what? But somebody yes. gives an opportunity, sure, try it. And a friend of mine taught me a long time ago, never say you can't do something. <laughs> somebody offers yes. you something, you say, sure. Yes. And then you go learn how to do it and you do it. And if it's something good, you know, if it's yeah. something good, because I get offered other things that I would never say yes to. Yeah, we're but talking this seemed like a though. good idea. I'd done some TV in Jamaica. Fred Wilmot used to host a quiz show, and I was the hostess assistant on the program. And in those days, a lot of television advertisements were done live when TV was just starting. And I did a couple of those because I was working with the advertising agency. They would hire me to do things like that. So I had some TV experience. So it was no big thing to do this. And I am a journalist. I am my father's daughter. My first article was published when I was 17. So I, you know, to be a journalist on TV, well, why not? I didn't know that it would make history. Who knew? And, and you've made history many times because you made history there. You made history bringing a film festival, doing a film festival in Jamaica. I mean, there's so much history and a lot of that is in your book. So let's get to talking about the book because I don't want time to run out on me and we have not spoken about this absolutely brilliant book. And I really, I, 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 I bought it. I bought it because I won. I'm a big supporter of Caribbean literature. I, I like to buy my books. Yes, right. um, and they're really the only books I buy. Everything else I'll read on Kindle or something, but books, I like having my Caribbean books. And I yes. bought it going, okay, let me see. But wow, I, you sent me the first chapter, I read it and I bought it and I have devoured that book. Because in wow. it, I got a really good feeling for 
when you returned from London, how you became a Rasta? Because in London, if I remember, you had bun head, right? You had, <laughs> you had, had regular what we were doing back yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. Everybody straightened their hair from, from I was 17. Well, I mean, even when it was hot comb. Yes. You, your hair was supposed to be straightened. Oh, let us not talk about the hot comb, okay? I had many a scab in my head from hot combs. <laughs> hot remember comb, it all too well. Hot comb for me brings back some very painful memories. <laughs> even the straightening when, when it burned your scalp. And it would leave a burn. Remember those days? Yes, I oh, do God. remember those days. And I, I am glad that for most of my life, most of my life, I was natural. Because I really, yes. I'm not a hair girl. Yeah, I tried it. I tried to fit in. I tried to do what was considered the thing you were supposed to do to look corporate or whatever. Me couldn't do it. Me try and me feel miserably. So one day I just said, you know what? I am who I am and that's it. You take it or leave it. But let's talk about when you came back now and you got in and I'm not giving away the book. If you want to hear the whole story, you're going to have to read the book, but how you ended up in big yard with people like Count Ozzy and um, brother Mac and how you became a Rasta, why you chose that path and how you became so ingrained in the Ethiopian Orthodox way of living and thinking and your belief. And so I want them to actually read that, but, what were some of the challenges you had in the very beginning when you started to learn about Rasta and you started to make that transition? Well, in England, I'd started growing out my natural hair. I was there when Black is Beautiful started happening, when Angela Davis was the heroine. And I'd grown out my natural hair, finally. And just about at the time when my hair, when I'd grown to love the new hair, it was about that long on my head. I was, I, I, then working with the BBC, they sent me to Cannes to do a film on the Cannes Film Festival. When I came back to London, Chris Blackwell called me and said, hey, Barbara, Perry Hensley and I have just made a, a Jamaican film. We'd like you to help us publicize it for the launch and around the world. And that would be the harder they come. I went, that was the harder they come. I went and saw it. It blew my mind because... Not only did I not know anything about that culture, I'd never heard music. I didn't know reggae music. Wow. And there was this new Jamaica and this new way of life, this new black way of life that made no, that had no apologies for being black, that was proud of being black, that rejected the white culture that was so racist to me. And I just had to follow this path. And I decided I have to come back to Jamaica and I have to find out what is Rasta. And I just came back home. The film brought me home for the premiere. And that was the greatest party I've ever been to in my life. They launched it the harder they come. And then we did some, we took it to Venice, took it to court. I said, I'm coming home. I came back home. And I looked around at the Jamaica that was there. And it didn't seem interesting to me at all. But Rasta, I had to find out. And I said to a man, who became my friend. I want to be a Rasta. He said, okay, I'll take you to the teachers. And he took me, he drove me up to Warwick Hill, Glasspool Avenue, to the home of a man named Douglas Mack, Brother Dougie. And that was the start. That was the beginning of my life as a Rasta. That was my education. That was my school. You know, 
it's interesting, and this is what I found very interesting in the beginning of the book, when you talk about actually learning and being educated in the ways of Rasta and educated about Marcus Garvey, who you say you didn't even know anything about before. And that, a lot of people think that Rasta is just something you just wake up one morning and say, chop. A rasta, and you start to you know grow your hair and you eat natural and you you live a certain lifestyle so you consider yourself a rasta but you actually and most rastas real rastas actually learn they're educated they they learn about africa they learn about what it is that they believe it's not just something that they wake up one morning and decide this is what i am absolutely it's an education it's a new way of seeing life and seeing the world. It's completely different. I, I knew no history. I knew no African history. I remember once in England, one of the reporters on one of the shows said, if, if black people are so great, how come they've never painted a Mona Lisa? And I had no answer. I'd never heard of Zimbabwe. I didn't know about Mali. I didn't know that Egypt, Tutankhamun was an African king. I didn't know anything of my history. Rasta educated me. Rasta taught me who I was. I thought, you know, Christianity was something that King James wrote about. No, we Ethiopians were Christians before King James translated the, the yes. Bible into his English. It had existed from Acts of the Apostles, chapter yes. 9, where the Ethiopian queen goes to Jerusalem to find out who is this Christ we're hearing about? And she meets Philip this side of the Jordan. And he says, just believe and be baptized. She says, well, cool. He baptizes her. And she goes back to Ethiopia to found the first Christian church outside of Jerusalem. That's from way back then. I didn't know this. I thought Christianity was that white man with blonde hair and blue eyes, you know, bleeding on a cross. Didn't we? we all did. Rastafari uh, uh, uh. teach me different because on the Ethiopian altar, you don't have a, a, a man bleeding to death. You have a mother and child. That is, is the veneration, is both woman and man, the mother, the holy mother, and her precious child. And they're black. You know, they're black people. The Pope of England, I learned, they showed me him kneeling every morning in front of a picture of the black Madonna and Christ. I thought, what? He reveres her. He says that's the holiest thing he can do each day of his life, fall before the black Madonna. Wow. I learned these things. I learned the history. Huh? Yes, through these people who had seen this history, through an Ethiopian man, Emperor Haile Selassie, the the the, 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 the foundation of the faith for us he opened the doors to the faith for us because yes. he believed we had to go through that door and see what he was saying what he was talking about you know what i mean the one of his titles is defender of the faith the holy yes. faith holy and your, your, passion, faith. your passion is so great it's so it's wonderful to have that kind of passion for anything you know anything good it's lovely to have that kind of passion. So, you know, that was the first thing that just grabbed me about the book was just learning about what you learned and the eye-opening revelation that you, you're not just a Rasta woman because you're dressed like one and you talk like one and you eat like one and you wrap your head. You know, it's a, it's a 
lifestyle that you learned. It's something that has, you have become, and it's a transition, the same way that people transition into other lifestyles. But during your travels, no, I, I really have to get to this because this was like, I kept going, wow, and I kept writing more notes and more notes and more notes. And during your travels, you met some very, very, very interesting people because you also had some very interesting friends. And one of those friends was your friend, Vanetta, who yes. was a big Hollywood star, Blackula and all kinds of huge movies that she was a part of. And she just passed away in like 2010. So she was, she was around for a yes. while. And she, through her, you met a whole lot of very interesting stars, the Stevie Wonders and... Yes. You know, those some of the people that you met when you were hanging out in Hollywood with the Hollywood people. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vanetta really was a very big movie star. And she was living with a man who was just as big, if not bigger, movie star because he produced and directed films. That was Max Julian. And I met Vanetta in London when she was then just a, a young movie star working mostly in Italy. She came over, we met her. She came over a couple of times, stayed with me. So this time she said, come to LA and stay with me. We've just bought a house in the Hollywood Hills. I went over and spent a wonderful, I was there for about three months with her. And Bonetta was at the center of her fame. We met everyone. I remember meeting Stevie Wonder, not just once at a nightclub and she introduced me, but Stevie said, oh, what? You and your friend from Jamaica, I'm doing a show in San Francisco tomorrow. Come. He sent us tickets. We flew down to San Francisco. We met really poor. Yeah, huh? you cook, you cook um, brown stew chicken for Billy Paul. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Billy Paul was Max's great friend. He came up one evening, sits down, and I mean, that was when me and Mrs. Jones was the number one hit. He said, I cook dinner, I cook Jamaican chicken. He said, boy, I need a Jamaican woman, you know, cook me chicken like this. We, I remember one day going shopping with Vanetta. She said, I'm going to teach you how to use a sewing machine and make your own clothes, Barbara. Let's go buy some fabric. We go into this fabulous fabric store. And who's in another counter over there? Diana Ross. So she goes, hi, Diana. And I say, can I go and ask an auto for an autograph? She says, no, Barbara, you never do that. You know? And I just could look and wave a little. <laughs> Everybody, we went out one with Ken Norton. He was then a movie star as well as a boxer. He'd just been in a big movie. We went out, I remember we went to a party. The, 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 one of the editors of the Playboy Club was trying to persuade him to be in Playboy magazine, and he was saying, nah, uh -uh, no, thank you. We met all those people. We met directors and producers. It was a real Hollywood scene. And because of her, I was able to do the Jamaica Film Festival with black Hollywood films, because I said, why aren't we showing all these films in Jamaica? And so said, so done. Vanetta picked up the phone, and she rang up people and they said yes you can bring your, your film to Jamaica so I picked up the phone and I rang my friend Beverly Anderson who was then now married to Michael Manley she was first lady of Jamaica and I said hey Beverly we could bring all these movie stars and their films to Jamaica could you help she said sure Barbara I'll work on it from this side I'll speak to Michael and see what the tourist board can do and so said so done from Hollywood to Jamaica, we did the first Jamaica Film Festival. And, 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 and a couple more after that, three. and then you parlayed that into the, again, into the... You know, we did three, but 
Yes, that was enough. The first one was really the greatest. I like that. Yes, that <laughs> we brought 35 movie stars to Jamaica. Movie stars and producers. Yes, wow. yes. Wow. Yeah, and those of us who are following in your footsteps are grateful for your teaching. Thank you very much, Sensei. Thank you very much, Sensei. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> but as a journalist, you also met some other interesting people. Like, I was surprised and totally intrigued about you meeting Saddam Hussein in his palace, <laughs> to say the very least. I was totally intrigued by the idea that you actually went behind the Iron Curtain when it, there was still an Iron Curtain. Um, what was the Saddam Hussein experience like in Iraq? It was really great because I'd been behind the Iron Curtain at a film festival in, um, in Leipzig, East Germany. And there, it was a festival of, of revolutionary films. And there I'd met a, 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 an Israeli who supported the Palestinian cause. And we talked about it. And as a result of it, I got invited to a Palestinian film festival in Baghdad, Iraq. I never say no to good offers. And I went to Iraq. <laughs> that was really interesting to be in another culture, a completely different culture. The fact that I was rasta and wore long skirts was very much, I fitted in perfectly. Um, when we just arrived, and it was a big festival, Gina Lola Brigida, who was a major movie star, was there. And Vanessa Redgrave, who was a, a British actress, very well known, and an activist for the Palestinian cause. And myself, we were the three female guests. I remember shortly after we arrived, we were taking a press conference at Saddam's palace. And... For some reason, they made me ask the first question. I think now I'm a little wiser. I would have said no and let you know some of the older journalists ask because I really knew very little yeah, about Iraq. But I asked my question and he answered me very nicely, like patting a child on the head. But um, subsequently, at the end, they have there's a huge you know event and fashion show and dancing and everything and a banquet. And I was sitting at my table with my interpreter when a message came over that I should come up to Saddam Hussein's platform, sit on his platform. So I turned to my interpreter and said, let's go. But she said, no, the invitation is for you alone. And wow. being the fem feminist that I was, I thought, no, if I'm going, she should come too. So I said, no, I'll stay here. So I didn't sit on Saddam's platform, <laughs> which, I mean... So maybe I could regret, but I don't. I don't, you know? Yeah, maybe you could regret or maybe it turned out to be a good thing. We don't know which way that worked. <laughs> We're not well, sure. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, Barbara, it's been great. I Sadly, I have to wrap this up. We're going to have to do this again because there is so much to your life. Your book is growing up. Daughter of Jah, D-A-W-T-A. And I'm so glad you spelt it that way because... Patois is my first language. I don't care what nobody wants to tell me about. It's not no language and all that foolishness is a language to me and it is my first language. But I just want to ask you one last question as we wrap up this episode of Shelf Life. Is, like me, you are not big on the big house and the big car and the fanciness. And what do you say to people who say, after all you've done, after all you've accomplished and achieved, what do you have to show for it? Oh, wow. What do you say to I show life. Oh. I show life. I show life, long life. I show my beautiful, blessed son. Those are the, the treasures, you know, that, that are irreplaceable. 
money will go, you know, big house. I'm living in a fairly pleasant place now, but I don't own any of these material things because the things I have pursued have been things like the blessings of love, the blessings of love, which is what the Christ taught us. Love is the most valuable thing you can have and the most valuable thing you can give. And I, I have love manifested in my blessed son. And I have love manifested in my life, in friends like you, for example. Love is more than all the material possessions. And life comes a very close second. And I have hope. I am so blessed. I am so rich. I am so wealthy. Thank you very much for your question. Thank you so much, Barbara. That is a beautiful note on which to end because I agree with you. I believe with you. I stand with you that there's nothing more precious than love and life and experiences and sharing and changing lives. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll do this again another time with Barbara Blake Hanna. Love you, darling. Love you, love you, love you. Beautiful woman. And I am so grateful that you took the time to be with me today. Thank you very much, Barbara. Enough blessings. Your book is on Amazon. Get it, get it, get it. It is Growing Up, Daughter of Jah by Barbara Blake Hanna. Blessings. If you have to get subscribed to this podcast, please do so. You'll always know when new episodes are available. The video of this episode is available also on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel and check out my website at jfallonread.com.